You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. All right. Good evening, everybody. Hey, how are y'all doing? Good. good. Yeah. Uh, uh, try that again. How you doing? Woo! There we go. It's a beautiful day. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna have to wake everybody up a little bit. So. Good to see everybody. So so glad you're here. If you don't know, I'm Pastor Dan, and uh, honored to have you here at LifeTree. I um, invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, and uh, we're going to be looking at that passage in just a little bit. So I'm giving you a heads up if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, if you have it on your phone, whatever, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screen in just a little bit. Um, so uh, often I get asked this question. I think it might be... It's not unique to me. I think lots of different professions get this question, but it seems to be more common for ministers. And they ask, what I do all day? <laughs> like, what are you? You're a pastor, right? Um, I've had people, t- you know, tell you, you work one hour a week, right? That's what you do. One hour a week, you get up there and talk, and the rest of the week, you just hang out, right? So and it's almost impossible to tell you what I do all week because it's different every week, different every day. There's not like a, you know, check in, check out. I mean, it could be... There's just no end to the kind of things. It's just uh, you're helping people and serving people, and so whatever the needs of the people are that week uh, can certainly dictate what the schedule looks like. And you can try and plan. Um, we all know about plans and what that, you know, how that goes. Um, uh, but it's like to give you a job description would be a little tough, but there is one written down, so I'm going to share that with you, and it may be helpful. Um, this is the job description for the if I want to be the perfect pastor, okay? This is the perfect pastor job description, okay? Uh, so the perfect pastor preaches exactly 18 minutes. Uh, he clearly condemns sin, but never hurts anybody's feelings, okay? Uh, the perfect pastor works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church custodian. Uh, the perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a reasonable car, buys good books, donates $30 back to the church, Um, He is 29 years old with 40 years of experience. Um, The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends most of his time with senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day, is always in his office. He is tall on the short side and heavy set in a thin sort of way. Um, The perfect pastor never misses the meeting of any church organization and is home every night with his family uh, while also being ever-present in the community. Also, the perfect pastor is always in another church down the street. So there you go. (laughs) Those are the rules about what it means to be a perfect pastor um, job description. So uh, how am I doing? No, don't don't ask. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If I were to ask you to explain your job in like... You know, some of you have job descriptions. Some of you wish you had job descri- descriptions. Some of you have job descriptions, but wish that was actually your job because you do other things, right? Uh, but if you had to maybe summarize what you do in one sentence, could you do it? Could you say, hey, if I were to boil down my job to one sentence, right, could I do it? Um, to help you think about it, I got a couple examples, something to think through. Um, this is one person's uh, one-sentence description. I spend most of the day looking out the window. Pilot. <laughs> That's what they do, right? They spend most of the day a pilot. Um, I talk while people sleep. That could be a pastor, but it could also be a professor. That's who said that, a professor. Um, I knock on doors and take money from people I don't know. Pizza delivery guy, yeah, or girl, yep. Um, I'm a human napkin. Mom. <laughs> there you go. Moms. Yes, there you go. That's pretty good. Um, we don't always think about our job descriptions every single day. We don't always have that kind of clarity, but they can be very helpful. Job descriptions can really be helpful in helping us you know, recognize how to spend our day, how to spend our time. They help us stay focused on what we're supposed to be doing. But inevitably, in any job, over time, other tasks outside your do- job description find their way to you. Yes? Am I making this up? Has anybody ever had that experience where things that were not on your job description somehow end up on your plate, right? You're somehow now in charge of an entire project that was never part of your job description. I don't, so you're a teacher and somehow you're also a security guard. Mm -hmm. You're a nurse and you're also a billing department. 
right? Or you're a mechanic and a therapist, <laughs> right? You have to do all of these different things, and you have all these. There are days, I think, that we can look at our life and feel like, based on my job description, plus all the other stuff added in, I can't possibly do all this. And it just gets to a point where you say, it's too much. What I'm being asked, what's being asked of me that's just too much? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to guess there are people in here that feel like, I'm not just talking about from your place of employment, but that life asks too much of you. That what you're being asked to do each day, it just feels a little bit too much. You walk in here and you're tired. It's, you're spent, you're weary, right? And I only have to go back about four minutes and how I asked you when I said, how are you all doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we should make a noise for the pastor. Uh, uh, we're here. We're, I'm present in the room. Uh, what else do you want from me? Um, you made it here. Listen, congratulations. You made it out to church on a Saturday night on a beautiful day. You get all sorts of points if there was a scale. You get points. You get, yeah, the scoreboard. You're all winning. But I know that when you come in, you're coming, or if you're tuning in to a service, you're looking not uh, for more to do. <laughs> you are tuning in for encouragement and for strength, and for hope, and for light, for peace, for joy, for some relief, for some sense of help in the midst of all of life. This is supposed to be a safe place. This is not where we get work. This is not where we get burdened. This is where we get that sense of, oh, I'm so glad I went, that I feel better now. Yes? Yeah, I mean, whether we say that's, you know, that's, that's why many of you are here. That's why we, we do this. So with that said, I have really good news for you because uh, I want to tell you something that hopefully will give you that sense, that feeling. Um, if you are feeling overwhelmed in any way, maybe that's you, and if it's not you, great. Put this in your pocket for the day that it hits. But if in any way life feels overwhelming right now, if it feels like it's asking too much of you, can I just say this to you? God has given you everything you need to do what is yours to do? You have all, listen to this, you have all the time you need to do what's yours to do. You have all the ability to do what is yours to do. You have all the help you need to accomplish what is yours to do. Now, how many feel that's true? <laughs> how many know it's true but don't feel like it's true? Okay, so that means, and this is the part, right, where as a pastor, I'm going to speak the truth, but in a gentle way that doesn't hurt your feeling. Okay, so I'm going to try and do that right now, okay? If you don't have enough time in the day, then you are doing things that are not yours to do. And if you don't have enough ability, then you are attempting things that are not yours to do. And if you don't have enough help, you're not allowing enough other people to help you. Okay, I told you, I tried to say that gentle. Did I say that gentle? I don't know. I tried. We have all we need to do what is ours to do. We have everything we need. You have everything you need. Think about that. That is a true statement. And it's critical that we establish that because of what I'm about to discuss. <laughs> We're going to go into a little bit where it might feel like more work. And I'm just telling you, it's you have everything you need. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He does not ask us to do things that absolutely overwhelm and destroy us. And I can't do it. If we're in that spot, then there's other reasons for that. We have everything we need to accomplish what is ours to do. Okay, so we're starting with that premise. Does that sound good? For our job description, you are completely qualified to do what you've been called to do. Okay, you have all the resources that you need. Okay, with that said, we've been spending the past few weeks renewing our vision, saying at 12 years in the life tree, you know, over time, vision can fade. Okay, how do we renew this vision? How do we remind ourselves why we are doing this? Why are we a church, right? And why are we investing in the community? Why are we meeting needs of those around us? And why do we care about the next generation? Why do we care about who comes after us? And there's one last group of people that we exist for that I want to talk about this evening. One last group, and i got to warn you, it's a big group. It's a very large group of people that we are responsible for. 
okay? Like really big. And I'd like to read a passage. Uh, we've, we've read it before many times here at, at LifeTree. It's called The Great Commission. Um, and it's Jesus is about to leave the earth, right, for good. He's about to leave and go to heaven. He's been crucified on the cross and he resurrected and he's showing up for just a, a few followers and he's about to give them their final instructions. And this is what he says, Matthew chapter 28. We'll pick it up in verse 18. It'll be on the screen and you can read along with me. And it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Next one. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next one. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, I ask you to help us understand what it is that you're saying to us. Lord, and let us not leave here feeling burdened and heavy, but hopeful and committed to the vision that you have planted deep inside us. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. So just so we understand, think about who Jesus was saying this to. Okay, this is not like he's not preaching to you know, a huge crowd in a church. He's not talking to um, uh, the scholars at the local seminary. He's saying this to a small group of people, fishermen, business owners, right, tent makers, people who made uh, you know, just, just normal average people with ordinary lives, who really don't understand all that is happening. They were just kind of going along life, and Jesus showed up. And they were like, oh, I believe in this guy. Um, but they have no formal training. There's no organization. There's not, like, treasurer and, you know, who's the vice chair. And there was, there was no structure to this thing. There's just a group of people that are just hanging out, trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus is talking to them. There's no buildings. There's no resources. There's no name on any of this. There's no life tree church. There's nothing they're just people, ordinary people, and the only thing that makes them unique is they're committed to following Jesus. And he says, okay, here's why I got one just, just one job for you. Here's the only thing I want you to do. Go change the world. That's it. Just go tell literally everybody, everywhere, everything I've told you. <laughs> Can you imagine how overwhelming that must have felt? You're sitting in the room. Like, what if, let's just practice. Ready? Here's your job. Go tell the world. Let's say it was a group just like this. It was probably very similar, minus the air conditioning and electric and the Wi-Fi, right? So Jesus is there going, okay, you, we're going to go change the world. But I'm not going to do it. I mean, I'll be with you, but it won't be here. I'll be in heaven. But just, just, just trust me. You'll feel me with you, like the presence God thing like that. But your job is just to, to literally go tell everybody in the world everything I've told you. How many of you feel qualified? Yeah, I could do that. I can go tell literally the entire world. Okay? Like, how big of a job was that? Let's make sure the job description is clear, okay? The task is to go make disciples. This is where it gets better. It's going to get better, I promise. He says, go make disciples. That means go help people follow the words of a guy who no longer lives here, of a guy they can't see, and you just have to take my, my word. So I'm going to go tell somebody that you should follow Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, he's in heaven now, but he was here, and while he was here, he said this stuff. And so I'm supposed to tell somebody else who has never seen him, never heard him, maybe heard about him only, and I'm supposed to tell them and convince them to follow him, to become a disciple, a follower of this guy. We all know that you can't convince people to believe. You can't coerce people to believe. Like, being a disciple is voluntary. People have to choose to do it. There's nothing, right? There's, you cannot manipulate people into that. And if you do, if you try to manipulate people into following Jesus, one, it's not genuine, but two, it's ultimately hurtful and damaging. When you manipulate people into following this God, it doesn't end well. So, these people who had no formal training were supposed to go change the world by just telling people and leaving it up to them if they want to follow God or not. And, it's, and they had to live their lives with intentionality. It means always seeking to encourage others to consider Christ 
It's this, I'm just presenting it. It's just an option. I can't force you. I have no power to make you do anything. You invite people to become followers of Jesus. That's what you do. You open the door. You say, hey, I'd like to just share something with you. It's up to you. All the choice is in your hands. I just want to present it to you. And Jesus said to do that for everybody in the whole world. Now, historians estimate that at that time, global population around the turn of, of, of you know, A.D., you know, B.C., A.D., right around there, 30, at, at around, let's say, roughly 30 A.D., you know, was about 300 million people on the planet. Isn't that crazy? 300 million people on the earth. Today, there's nearly 8 billion. So we've multiplied. Um, so again, let's just say for that sake, 300 million people, and there's about the size of this room. I mean, give or take, right? Maybe 100 people. 150 people, I don't know, that are there gathered that day. No, we don't really know. It's just as Jesus said to his followers, whoever was gathered there. So, I mean, it's not a small group. So do you think realistically 100, 150, let's say, let's go really 500 people could reach 300 million. Like, you, that's, a, that's a big job. That's a big job. And not only that, um, let me ask this. Everybody stand up, if you can all, if you, for a moment, if you're able. Would you stand? Okay, now, um, if you can speak two or more languages, stay standing. Two, we are definitely in America. Two or more languages? Well, only, really, nobody can speak two or more. Yeah, I, Marlene, I know you can. Come on, stand up, stand up. Three or more. Anybody can, 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 can you speak three, Marlene? You can speak three. Can you speak four? Yes, can you, no, four, you, you, you could pass for the, the fourth one, you can, you, can, you can have conversational. All right, let's give it up for Marlene, everybody, come on. That's amazing, that's amazing. They say, right, if you, you speak, you know, five or more languages, right, you're probably, you know, Asian or African, right, if you speak two or more languages, you're European, if you speak one language, you're American, right, that's it, that's the deal, we just speak one language, <laughs> that's it. So, do you know what a polyglot is? That's someone who speaks multiple languages, okay, a polyglot. Um, the, the world record, it's, it's kind of like nebulous because people have, can show, they can talk a little bit in these languages, but they can't necessarily, they don't have a firm grasp on it. So the, the person in the Guinness Book of World Records that knows, can speak the most languages, it's, it's roughly around 40, 45, somewhere around there. Um, that's a lot of languages. That's a lot. Of, okay. There are more than 7,000 languages spoken in the world today. 7,000. So, the mission is to go to all those people who speak all those languages and communicate to them not just the truth about you, the story of Jesus, right? but then live it out in such a way that those people can respond to it. Now, remember what we said about having all we need to do what God has asked us to do. We have all we need to do what God has asked us to do. Okay, so if we have all we need to do what God has asked us to do, and he has asked us to go to 8 billion people who speak 7,000 languages and tell them about Jesus, how is that possible? How do we reconcile that I have everything I need to do to accomplish this ridiculously impossible task? And I say that because the Great Commission is still our job today. It's still job number one. That means not in addition to everything else that we're doing, uh, it's not like just, hey, I add the Great Commission to everything else we're doing, but that's job number one for us. The one thing we're supposed to do on this earth is to give every single person on earth the opportunity to hear the story of God, to know Jesus loves them and gave his life to pay for their sins so they can have eternal life, they don't have to do anything to earn it. They just have to receive it, but they can't unless they hear it. And they can't hear it, right, unless somebody tells them. And the reality is hearing one time is rarely enough. How many of you, the first time you heard about Jesus, you're like, I'm in? I mean, you, you hear it, and you go, huh. It's, you have an initial response to it. But very few of us just make a, our mind in the moment, I'm in for good. I don't even think about it again. So we hear it, 
but really what it is that affects our life is that it is lived out in front of us over time by someone who believes it. We are impacted by the lives of others, not just the words they say, but what we see in them. It's one thing for someone to tell me something, but I have to watch and observe their life. And if I see it being lived out, then it, then it carries weight. So the truth is, sharing, making disciples, going to tell people, it's not enough just literally telling. It's not, people say, well, with the internet now, we can do that in one day. I can just sit here with the internet and I can preach an online video to YouTube and I have done it. I have given, people watch a lot of videos on YouTube. That is not making a disciple. That might be planting a seed, you might be giving, but they don't have an opportunity to look at your life and observe you and see you and get to know you. We can't do that. People come to faith in so many ways, and it always takes time. They hear, they ponder, they ask, they explore, they wonder, they search, they wrestle. That's why Luke tells us that God's purpose was for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. It sounds like it takes time. It's not like an instant, like, hey, they're going to hear and they're going to go. No, people hear it and they go, hmm, let me think about that. And it sinks and it, t- it, it takes time to grow. It's like a tree. You plant it. It doesn't grow overnight. It grows over years, over time. That's how it works. God says he likens so much the soil of our heart, planting of seeds in it. It takes time to take root, to grow. There's a lot that happens in there. So here's the point. This is why we have, this, this whole thing is not just a personal mission. It's a collective mission. The Great Commission is a corporate mission. It was never meant for one person to do it all because it's impossible for one person to do it all. This is a mission for all of us to do together. The Great Commission is impossible for any one person. I don't care how smart you are. Nobody speaks 7,000 languages. Nobody speaks 1,000 languages. We only have one person in this room who speaks more than two languages. (laughs) And we can't go all those places. We can't go everywhere. We can't go to every corner. Nancy is in the room. She is a unicorn. She has been on every continent in the world. Isn't that awesome? That's really, really cool. Like, has anybody else been there on every continent? Anybody else in the room? Because I think that's really rare. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. But how many places has Nancy not gone? How many people has she not met? I mean, even with all that travel, there's still so much of this world that we will never in a lifetime touch, which is why we need this to be a collaborative mission. And that's why missionaries are so important. They don't just go tell people and leave because you and I could do that. We could make trips to just go places for a day or two or a week and go tell a bunch of people and leave. And that's not good enough because it's not enough for people just to hear. They have to see it lived out in front of them. So missionaries go and they live out faith in front of people who have never seen it before. They love people and they serve them. That's why they leave home and family and the familiar and and learn a new culture so that they can find ways to present people in every corner of the world with an opportunity to begin their own relationship with Jesus. All throughout the scriptures, we can hear the heart of of God for the world to know him. It says in the past, Luke says, "In, in the past, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. See, missionaries that are sent by the church, they can be part of God's evidence of himself. As the missionaries are sent to places, Romans, Paul highlights why it matters so much. He says, remember, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And all means all. He says, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Every language Every people group, every ethnos, every, every person, each of us will give a personal account to God. See, because we're all, and not just us, who have heard this message in America so many times, you grew up with it. We've, there's, there's, it's so rare to find someone 
in our part of the world who has not heard about Jesus? There's a, a someone said, you know, in churches you often talk about the second coming of the Lord. When he's going to come back, he says, we talk about the second coming. He said, there are so many in the, in the world who have never heard of the first. Because everybody is going to stand before God, we are charged with giving them the opportunity to respond to his love. So how can they hear if no one tells? And how can they tell if no one goes? And how can they go if no one sends? So here's what I want us to remember. We are a great commission church. We are part of this great community of faith called the church, big C, capital C, right? And we are part of the great commission. It is on us to reach the entire world. We are part of it. We're part of that great commission. It's not just a life tree thing. It's a church thing. Anybody, anywhere who believes in Jesus, who is a follower of Jesus, this is what we do. This is what we do. It's on us to reach the entire world, and not only with a one-time message, but with a continual presence, with an in-the-flesh display of what the life of faith looks like, with an example. Jesus came down to be the incarnate, the incarnation of God. We got to see what God looks like because Jesus lived here. Well, when we go to our communities, to our workplaces, to our families, we get to incarnate God there. God in us shows up in the way we love, in the way we care, in the way we, that we, ha- uh, we respond to other people. We show, reveal God to those around us. Missionaries do the same thing. They get planted into these other cultures, these other places. They adapt and they learn, and they reveal God to people who have never seen him before. And that's why this is such good news. This is way too big for you. So as I'm telling you about the Great Commission, this is not a burden for you. This is not, oh, I'm supposed to do that too. You get to because this is something we're all part of. It's not just on you. you. We stand shoulder to shoulder with everybody in every church all over the world who is committed to following Jesus because this is what Jesus' followers do. And that means we need to work together to accomplish it. We exist not to do it all, but to do the part which we can do. And here's the thing, as we do our part, this ridiculously impossible commission becomes not so impossible. You're going to go, huh, this, this, this might actually be doable. We might actually be able to, to do that. So are we going to do our part? Because we can't just say, oh, this is so good. This is, so, this is not, not just me. Everybody's doing it. Oh, great. I'll let them take care of it. (laughs) See, because that's the other danger. That's the other pendulum here. Either one, it's too much for me, I can't do it. Or, oh good, this is collective. I'll let everybody else worry about it. I got too much on my own. We can't be followers of Jesus and not do job number one. You can't claim to be a follower of God and not do this. So, either we go or we send. That's what we get to do. We get to go or we get to send because it's, it's our responsibility. So we have to do one or the other. Jesus is the hope of the entire world. He wants everyone everywhere to hear the good news. And we have what we need to accomplish that if we do our part. So if someone, let me ask you, if someone refuses to participate in this great commission, can they call themselves a follower of Jesus? Jesus says, you have one job. I want you to go make disciples of everybody everywhere, which means you need to do your part in both making disciples where you are and sending disciples, sending people to make disciples where you are not. That's what it boils down to. We are to make disciples where we are, which is live out our faith, share our stories, help people grow around us, and send people where we are not. Can we call ourselves a follower of Jesus if we don't do that? We can't live unconcerned or unmoved or indifferent to the rest of the world. Faith needs to be accompanied by action in order to come alive. So what? So what? So that's why we have the forest. That's why we give. Giving is one way that we help send. 
When we give to missionaries, we are not helping them do their thing. This isn't like somebody going off to some place and we're saying, oh, we'll help you do your thing, and I'll just help people here and there do their things. No, 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 no. This is our job, and they're doing the going part. We are partnering to accomplish the corporate job number one. I'll tell you, the people of Medan, Indonesia, anybody been there? No, I don't think so. I've never been there. Well, those people, guess what? They need to hear the story of Jesus and have the church present in their midst so they can feel it and look at it and see it and experience it and touch it. And the people of Thessaloniki, Greece, maybe anybody been there? Have you been there? Yes, you've been there. All right. People of, anybody else? Thessaloniki? No? All right. But that place, guess what? Those people, they need the church. They need, they need a church there. They need the light of God there. They need a church just like this. And there are churches, and we need, they need to be doing their part there because we're not there. And the goal is not to have a life tree everywhere. The goal is to partner. And the people of Brussels, Belgium, and the people of St. John's, Antigua, and Barbuda, all, listen, we can sit there and name places all over the world that we are not. And they need to hear what we have heard, and that's why we give to the forest. And it can be easy to make excuses, it, to say, listen, I, I can't give. I, I don't have enough to give to those people. I'm doing so much here. How do I give to other people? You know, the generosity is reserved for the wealthy and those with clear abundance. And let me just tell you, that's a scarcity mindset, that more for others means less for me. We don't need to choose between here or there. It's flawed thinking and it's limited decision making. I just tell you this, the, the arithmetic of heaven is not logical. Okay? When we make God's priorities our business, he takes care of our business. When we make God's priorities our business, he takes care of our business. That's why we as a church, look back, that's why we purchased land for people in Mexico when we don't have land of our own. And that's why we purchased roofs for churches in, right, in Africa because we don't have right, to do that because guess what? Before we did because we're giving and it works and it works. We have never lacked. Do we have a roof? Yep. Do we have a place to meet? Yep. Do we have lights on? Yep. We have sound system and speakers? Yep. We even got food. You want cider? We got hot cider tonight. We got extra stuff. Right, we got programs. We got, we got pens with our name on it. We got everything we need. What more could we need? Right? We've, got, we've got this stuff. God is providing for us. That's why we go to do other things because we're not say, making excuses about what we don't have and letting that prevent us from doing what we can. I'm fully confident that when the time comes for us to have a building, God is going to provide in abundance. And that doesn't mean I'm going to lean on all of you to give everything you have. No, I believe God is going to provide for us. We're going to build a community center or something in this town. We're going to have a piece of property. We're going to do something to serve and to, to love this community, to use a building. A building is just a place. But we're going to use that building to be a blessing to those around us. But we're not going to wait until we're taken care of to, to fulfill the Great Commission. We are constantly participating in it all along. And guess what? When we get a building, we're still going to give. We're going to continue to give because that's what we do. We support, like I said, about 40 or 50 missionaries right now. Did we, did we hit our number? Did we get there in the last few weeks? Do we know? No? How short are we? We're a few thousand short of $1 million lifetime given to missions through Lifetree. Come on. I think we're like 3,000 short. 3,000? Yeah, about $3,000 short. I was, I'm hoping we get there by the end of this year. It would be awesome like, to say we have given a million dollars. Listen, that's a lot of money. And guess what? We still have more than we need because that's the way the arithmetic of heaven works. As we are waiting, as God prompts, then we're going to give to missions. We're going to give to the great, because we're a great commission church, which makes us great commission people, which means that we're going to give. All right, sorry. I'm getting a little worked up. It's all right. But here's the thing about missions giving. When we talk about giving to, to, right, the forest is for the rest. It's not for us. We give missions money away. It's not to impact anything in our area. It's to, to give to going where we're not. And we give not because we have to, but we choose to. We give generously. And there's something I think that is so 
profound when I think about giving to missions. There's an old book I read by a guy named Oswald Smith, and anybody named Oswald, you should read them. They're just, they're just smart people. I don't know what it is, something about that name. But he said this. He said, the church whose light shines farthest shines brightest at home. Think about that. The church whose light shines farthest shines brightest at home. That as we invest in the kingdom of God, as we go to the ends of the earth, as we support people in Indonesia, as we support people in Greece, as we support people in Belgium, right, in Antigua, and everywhere else in the world, as we support those people, guess what? That doesn't dim our light. It only amplifies it. it it's heaven's arithmetic. The more you give, the more blessed you are. It's just the way it works. We don't lose when we give to the forest. It may seem counter to the principles of this world. That's because this world operates often backwards. This world is backwards. Only the kingdom of God is right side up. And it's just so prevalent and common in this world that we go, oh, that can't be because that's what we're used to. But that's not how it works. When we give, we always receive far more. It's unexplainable, but it's also undeniable. It's true. The heart of God cares for all people everywhere, and God calls us and empowers us and enables us to participate in all of it. So because people still need to hear, we still need to do our part. We either go or we send, but we can't do nothing. If you're not going to do anything, then you can't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Did I say that gently? I don't know. I tried to. I don't want to offend. Here's the action step for this week. It's very simple. It's very simple, and it's something every single person in this room can do. Every single person listening can do. There's nobody that can't do this. Put your faith in action. You say you're a follower of God, which means that you want to have a heart for the world like he has a heart for the world. Okay, put that faith in action. Make a missions pledge. And a pledge means it's a promise. Some people call it a faith promise. That means, let's say, monthly. I will decide that I am going to commit X amount of dollars to missions. I'm going to give this amount each month to missions, specifically to help those who are going, and not just to help them get there, but to help them stay there. When we give, most of our missionaries that we support are fully supported by churches just like ours. They, they don't make outside income. It's churches like ours that allow them to invest all of their time being light in those places that we're not going to so that they can go. I will tell you this. When I was, my mom can tell the story better. I think I was a little kid, maybe like six years old or so. Uh, I heard about this at church. It was probably my dad that was preaching about making a missions pledge. And so I said, I'm going to make a missions pledge. I'm going to make... Uh, Mom, I want to give a quarter a, a month, a quarter. But again, at that time, I didn't have a job, wasn't bringing in the big money, you know, so I wasn't sure. I was playing kickball with my dad in our yard. The ball went in the garden. I went in the garden to get the kickball, and there was a quarter in the garden, and I was like, God provides. This is awesome. Look, I remember, as you can tell, and I was like just amazed. God provides. Let me just ask, let me just tell you this. You might give $5. You might give $25. You might give $500. It's not a competition. That's not what matters. Nobody else needs to know. This is between you and God, but everybody can do something. Would you let God speak to your heart? And again, this does not replace tithe. Again, (laughs) tithe takes care of the church, helps us continue to be established and rooted here so that out of this can flow streams of living water to to serve our community, to serve the next generation, to make a difference to those who call this church home. That's what the tithe does. It keeps us going. But this is above and beyond that. This is, it sounds like so much. I'm telling you, it's not that much. People do it all the time, and God provides in abundance. You make God's business your priority. He takes care of your business. This is an offering. It's above and beyond. You say, God, I'm going to give this joyfully out of my heart, not with guilt, not with shame, not with regret, not holding on to it, not begrudgingly, God. I want to give because I care, because there are people all over this world that have yet to hear about you, God. Break my heart for that. If you're hearing that and it doesn't do anything to you, 
perhaps your heart hasn't really been softened yet. Next week, we're going to have a pledge form. What we're going to do is we're going to have a simple little card, no name on it, but just going to have a place for you to write your number of monthly what you are going to commit. And I'm going to give it to everybody, kids, everybody. I don't care. Every single person in here is going to get one. And you're going to write them down, and we're going to collect them, and we're going to count them. And we're going to put that number together. Again, I don't want names, but we're going to put that number together because here's what we're going to do. Based on that number, we're going to make plans to give away that amount each month to missionaries all over the world. If we're serious about following Jesus, then we have to take his commission seriously. So this is not a game. We're not just throwing out. I'm charging you, challenging you this week. Pray. Let God speak to you about what he would put on your heart to designate specifically for missions every month. As each week, we ask this one final question. What if we don't? What if we said, ah, I just don't want to do that? What's at stake if we don't? And so what we did is we asked missionaries in Thessaloniki, Greece, and in Brussels, Belgium, and in St. John's, Antigua and Barbuda, and in uh, Medan, Indonesia. And they shared the difference that your giving makes and what might happen if we don't. So let's just take uh, a watch, and then we'll close in just a moment. My name is Billy Roman, and um, my wife, Havula Roman, and we are missionaries serving in the island of Antigua and Barbuda. We are the lead pastors of um, New Life Assembly of God here in Antigua, which is the first AG church being planted here in this nation. Hi guys, we are Peter and Courtney Good, and we serve here in Thessaloniki, Greece, along with our two kids. The past five years, we've been leading Zoe Church, but ultimately everything we're doing is to lead people to Jesus here in our city. Yeah, so we're Tim and Kelly Pollock. We're living in Medan, Indonesia. Our lead pastors at a church, um, our church is called IC Medan, or International Church Medan. I'm Joel Dambriggle. My family and I are serving as your missionaries to Brussels, Belgium. And we have the privilege now of planting a brand new international church that has enabled us to bring the gospel into communities that are 99% unreached. And it's partnering with churches like Lifetree that enable us to be here in this strategic hour. Often it takes seven years to build a relationship enough and a friendship to be able to talk about the core beliefs of a person. But the pandemic accelerated that. It's because you have partnered with us, you've enabled us to be here, to be your extended hands and feet into Belgium where people need to hear about the hope that he gives. When they pray for us, uh, there are chains, chains being broken. There are people being set free. We have the strength to continue the work in here. Um, the attacks of the enemy doesn't have no effect because others are praying. Well, church is possible because because they give. You know, like it's it, none of this would happen without them. It's not a country with a strongly established church. And in those early baby stages, you just need somebody like that that's holding the hands and walking that. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a gift. Every church involved, from the Indonesian City Church, my church in America, has a role to play. It's not just my money or my dollars. It's actually this multi-layer effort that it's the same goal that someday a church will be planted where there never has been any expression of the gospel. Churches like you didn't partner with us. If you didn't pray for us, if you didn't send financial support, all of those things, there would be generations that would be impacted. We wouldn't be in the building that we're in. We wouldn't be in the location. We wouldn't be able to do anything that we're doing were it not for you. And let me tell you, there are people's lives, families and generations that are being transformed 
because you have been faithful. I think of one girl who, in a moment of desperation during the pandemic, um, went to a monastery to try to find God, read through an entire Bible in six months during the pandemic, and then showed up our our doorstep and said, I, I think I need a church. I think of the trafficking survivors that have found a family in our church. And so when we talk about what would happen if our doors would close, we can talk about the big picture, but we can also talk about what it would mean for each one of those people who have come through their doors and, and found hope and found a family. It would probably compromise what we're doing at the church and compromise the you know, decisions made financially for the ministry of this church. Culture here in Indonesia, a lot of the time, pastors, unfortunately, will misuse their position Big and time. will say, if you pay me X amount of rupees, I will bless your business. We have the complete freedom for them to experience people who are truly serving them and never asking for even one rupiah. It breaks socioeconomic um, boundaries. We wouldn't have the first AD church in this nation. We wouldn't see so many youth coming to Christ. Uh, we wouldn't see um, so many lives being changed and transformed. When you think about it, every soul that comes to Jesus Christ over here is attached to your church. have to deal with the reality of because we started something and now we have to back up our bags and, and a lot of times it's too premature. You had maybe new people that were new believers, but you weren't able to disciple them to the level where they could be. And that's a scary reality for missionaries. That would be a victory for the enemy. Yeah, it's like mission incomplete. At some point in your life, you need to go on a mission trip. And that doesn't mean that it needs to be somewhere like around the world. You need to be involved in some kind of missions initiatives. It will change your perspective about so much. It will put you in a position of understanding things differently. Slaniki, there is an urgency to being a person, being a believer that that loves its neighbor and reaches out to its neighbor and cares for people and brings the gospel to people. And and and, and I just wonder if 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 we need a renewal of that urgency, that there is a world around us that is suffering and hurting and dying and and missing out on the good news of the gospel. And, and, and there is uh, an openness, more than I think we realize, that there's an openness that people have to find this hope that we've discovered. God has placed you strategically because there are people all around you be questioning, maybe going through a moment of doubt. Maybe there are things that they don't know how they're going to survive. And you have the answer. And I believe that God has placed you exactly where you are in and through your life and in through your family. As you give, as you sacrifice, as you serve, as you partner with local ministries so that the love of Jesus and the hope that he gives will be spread around our world. Keep growing, keep allowing the tree to be pruned and grow healthy and strong because the fruits are coming out. And don't give in because the roots are going deeper and deeper in God. Even when you don't see it for a season, you're gonna see it in your own lives. And so just keep allowing the Holy Spirit to, to produce those good things inside of you. Don't give up no matter what and I don't want to just sell this short by saying so it's on us to, to just give and send maybe God's calling you to go I don't know I don't want to ever assume that God is not calling someone to go. And you may say, oh, I'm too old for that. Careful. <laughs> My parents didn't decide to leave until we were much older. God called them in a time of life when they'd say, no, we were established, we were planted. But God said, no, I'm calling you. So young or old, the Great Commission exists in all sorts of ways. We fulfill it in so many different ways. And 
The key is that we are participating and being obedient, whatever God prompts us to do. So if God's calling you to go, telling you go. We will help you go. We will send. And I'm telling you, when, when God calls you to go, you will appreciate sending churches like you've never appreciated them before. So let's be that sending church for those who are going, who have felt that call. These are people leaving families, leaving behind all that's familiar because they said God has called us to be this part of the church, this arm of the church. We're all in this together. So again, I encourage you to pray this week. God, what would you, what part would you have me play? And whatever, and then again, what could you, what would he give through you? And don't say, God, how much can I afford? That's not the question. God, how much can you give through me? So whatever the number is, God, I will trust you to provide this that I can give. Not to us. It's not coming to us. We're not going to see a penny of it. We're going to give it all away. What will God prompt your heart to give? Remember, the light, the church whose light shines farthest, shines brightest at home. So we're going to close with a song, that song we sang before, that our world needs Jesus. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. We're just going to close by receiving our tithes and offerings today if you would come and, and, and gather and uh, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close to sing this song and it's a reminder let it be our consecration to why we care so much about the world because God cares so much about the world so let's just pray and then we'll sing that song Heavenly Father I ask God that you would continue to burden our hearts not in a heavy way but, Lord, in a compassionate way that we would not be indifferent to those all around our world, those people who to us are face, that we don't even know their faces. They're just nameless people out there, nations and languages we don't speak, cultures we don't understand. But, God, they are our sons and our daughters, our brothers and our sisters, our mothers and our fathers. They're out there. And you have put it in us, on us as the church to let them know how much you love them. May it not be said of us that we didn't do our part. We don't carry the burden of doing it all, but we do have the responsibility of doing our part. May we be faithful. May we be found faithful. I thank you. Lord, as we return our tithes and our offerings to you today, Lord, take it, use it to truly bring about the fulfillment of that great commission. It's in your good name we pray.